Hey everybody, welcome to the second video in my top 50 games of all time series. Today we're going to be going from number 31 through 40. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. So my number 40 is going to be Star Wars Rebellion. This is a game that came out a couple of years ago from Fantasy Flight Games. You're basically replaying the original Star Wars trilogy of movies, and it almost comes out being like a what-if type of scenario. So you have two or four players in this case, and I will say right now that I actually prefer it with four players, because it's a head-to-head -head game, Rebellion versus Empire. You have Darth Vader and the Emperor and all those folks on the Empire side trying to build Death Stars, trying to find the Rebel base, and then the Rebels trying to outlast the Empire, try to run like different sort of uh, uh, bombing, guerrilla, you know, warfare type things in space, and just trying to sort of outlast the Empire until sort of the support for them crumbles uh, down into nothing and the Rebellion wins. Uh, so there's a lot of like hidden, uh, you know, uh, orders and stuff like that, and there's some fleet combat. It's kind of a mishmash of a lot of things, and there's a lot of games kind of like this where, well, not a lot, there's a few games kind of like this where you are sort of controlling large forces, and it's a, it's a kind of a straight-up war game in some ways. But then you kind of get down to the very personal level of interacting with specific characters and sending them on quests or sending them to help out your troops and that kind of stuff. So it has a real sort of cinematic balance of the characters and their little stories and things that are going on in the game versus that large epic-scale battle. Like I said, you are doing... You're trying to build a Death Star and all that kind of fun stuff here. Now, the reason I like it with uh, four players as opposed to two, which I think I'm in the minority on, although everybody that I seem to talk to, like in person, seems to like with four, is because you can kind of commiserate with you and your, your partner to sort of scheme and plan and plot and all that kind of fun stuff. And so your opponents are doing the same thing as well. And you can actually play it with three players, and I have, where you have two against one. But you don't really have any different mechanics or anything. It's just the, maybe the order that you play cards is a little bit different. Uh, but this is a really a fun game. And you just get really cool, interesting things that happen, especially if you're a Star Wars fan. And you can say, like, oh, well, Obi-Wan turned to the dark side. <laughs> like, you know, there's just all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Uh, that can happen. The combat and everything is very pure and simple. And so in a lot of ways, it's kind of a deduction game, you know, and it's almost like playing Fury of Dracula or something like that, where the rebellion is trying to keep their base hidden and kind of hint and faint in different directions to kind of throw the, the empire off. Uh, Playtime is going to take you two plus hours, maybe three. It kind of depends how the game goes, because if the game goes long, it might, you might crack above three hours, uh, but not usually. Usually you'll, you'll end around the two, two and a half hour mark. Uh, like I said, the player counts two or four players. I prefer four players. Now, I did mention other games that um, have that same idea where you're, like, you're playing a big kind of war game, but then you're kind of crunching down into uh, more narrative character-driven types of things. Well, the one that uh, you know is easily compared to this would be War of the Ring, which I really do enjoy. It's not on this list, although War of the Ring would be in my top 100 uh, if I was going out to 100. This one replaces it for me. Uh, I just like the mechanics of this a little bit better. Uh, I like the sort of the sneaky part of it. The way that the sneaking works in this is a little bit, for me, better than the way it works in War of the Ring. Whereas War of the Ring, you have the forces of Good and Sauron sort of fighting all over the board, and then you're trying to sneak Frodo and Sam down to put the ring into Mount Doom. That's cool, but I also like the, the way that the large scale interacts with that here. 
Because the Sam thing is like a separate game. Or Sam and Frodo thing is like a separate game. And then you have the, the large battles, and that's a different game. So there's a couple of win conditions there that you're sort of tugging and pulling. And that's what kind of holds that game together. Whereas this, uh, the Rebel base is very much a part of you know, the combat and everything and, and everything. So everything really revolves around is a little bit more stuck together intrinsically. And it feels like a little bit like you are in a position of control. Like you're a very high admiral or general in either the rebellion or the empire in this case. And you as a player are in control of that. Where in War of the Ring, this is such a stupid nitpick, but in War of the Ring, like you feel like you're playing a game. You know, you, you're playing this really cool combat card or dual-purpose card thing in War of the Ring. It's really good. I mean, it's an awesome, amazing game. But for me, this just feels like more, you know, like I am a person that's involved in this. And I'm trying to sort of manipulate things and get things going my way. So this is a little bit more engrossing thematically for me uh, than War of the Ring. But definitely, if you're like, like, I don't like Star Wars. Star Wars is dumb. Maybe take a look at War of the Ring. Uh, there's a couple other games like that. One later on this list is kind of in that same vein where you're like having, you know, large epic scale forces and then also down nitty gritty, uh, you know, characters and that kind of stuff. So anyway, that's Star Wars Rebellion. That is number 40. And then number 39 is now, where is it? Here it is. This is also currently published by Fantasy Flight, but didn't used to be. Uh, this is Samurai. This is the real Grand Games Edition. If you get the new one, it looks a little bit different than this. Uh, this is a Reiner Knizia game. And just to give you a heads up, this video here is going to have two themes running through it. You notice from the last game and then now this game. So just that did not happen on purpose. That was totally by accident. So anyway, here's a Reiner Knizia game. One of maybe more that's going to show up here real quick. Uh, this is a very abstract tile placement game where you're sort of trying to win the influence of different cities uh, based on different tiles that you play. It's very abstract, and I don't want to spend too much time on the mechanics or even like the loosey-goosey theme that's on here. But for me, this is really an election game. And you're trying to win like the electoral college. If the United, if you live in the United States, you know what that means, hopefully. Um, and you're trying to win the electoral college and get these different regions to sort of back you in this vie for leadership. <laughs> it's really difficult to explain that in a couple of minutes, so I'm not going to try. Although I will say that um, folks should give this a shot. It's a really abstract, really good game. And there's a lot of interesting replayability and stuff that you can uh, have with this game. And the components, at least in this edition, are really gorgeous. Not too keen on the new Fantasy Flight edition, to be honest. But, you know, whatever. Maybe it's some sentimentality creeping up in the brain. Uh, definitely take a look at this game. you got to at least try this. And to my opinion, you got to at least try Samurai uh, once or twice in your life. Just to kind of give it a whirl. See if it's something that's for you. Like I said, a little abstract, so not everybody's going to like it. Uh, two, three, four player count. Uh, okay, so three and four players I like a lot. Two players I kind of like. I think you definitely, again, want those extra brains at the table with the three and the four player. Um, but two players, okay. It's all right. You just want a couple more players. The game scales fine for all the player counts. You actually grow and shrink the island of Japan or the other islands, too, around it uh, to you know sort of scale for the players. Um, but I definitely think you want three and four players. The game's going to take you under an hour, right at an hour, possibly. And uh, so that's kind of the, that thing. Now, as far as games that are like this, other than the game I'm about to mention after this, 
which is really nothing like this, but it's from the same designer. Spoiler. Uh, there's another game I played a long time ago called Toluva, and I think it's in print. That one goes in and out of print all the time. There was a Kickstarter or something. Go take a look at Toluva on Board Game Geek. I really like that game. I, I never owned it. I played it a few times. And it's also got this strange, abstracty sort of tile placement thing. Uh, Kingdom Builder maybe is in that vein. I'm not a big fan of Kingdom Builder, but if you like those kind of tile placement games, uh, you know, trying to get some control over things, you know, I could say like Carcassonne, but this is this I want to pull away from that. This is not like a Carcassonne. It's a different kind of tile laying game. But if you, if you kind of are a fan of those tile placement games, give this one a shot. It's a little abstract, but I do actually find it pretty thematic, believe it or not. So that was number 39. Uh, number 38 here is from the same designer. Ho, ho, ho. And this is uh, Tigris and Euphrates. Uh, this one here is one of my favorite Kanitsi games. There's another one coming up shortly. Uh, now this one I have still, and you can probably see right there, I also have Yellow and Yangtze. And to me, you could almost sort of like in, uh, just kind of swap these for each other. They really are sort of the same game engine. All this, this one you're placing square tiles, and that one you're placing hex tiles. This one, when you have interactions and combat in this game, is you sort of try to take over areas uh, with your tiles. Uh, they're going to work a little bit differently than when you have interactions and conflicts in Yellow and Yangtze. Now, I put this one here because there's something very funky and wonky about the way the players interact in this one. And it's a little bit obtuse the first time you play it. Um, whereas the interactions in Yellow and Yangtze and stuff are a little bit more straightforward and easy to digest and easy, much easier to teach. Uh, so, gosh, I don't know which one I like better, honestly. I think i got to lean this one because, for me, this actually is a little bit more on the thematic edge of things. Yellow and Yangtze leans into the abstract, and maybe there's some thematic decision-making behind the design there, but to me, this feels like I'm playing some abstract civilization game that's like 3,000 years old that was been dug up from the ground, and, you know, it's been given a gloss of paint, obviously. Uh, but this feels like I'm playing a Civ game, like I'm playing a very abstract civilization game, and it feels like I'm playing a civilization game. Whereas I'm playing Yellow and Yangtze, it feels like I'm playing a cool tile game. Uh, but this is definitely, I think this, more than even Samurai, and maybe even more than the game I'm going to mention next, is something that every everybody should try this game and give it a couple of plays, because it's a little obtuse and funky the first time you play it. Uh, it's, oh gosh, it's just so crazy. I don't want to talk about too much of the mechanics, but it feels like you're playing something that was just unearthed from a long time ago, and you're playing this Mesopotamian civilization thing and going head-to-head -head and all that. It's hard to, some of this abstract stuff is like, I'll take a break here from the, the list. Some of it's very tricky to explain. Uh, because everybody watching this video, like you're not dummies, and you're all going to look at this different ways. Like you, you just, like let's say a thousand people watch this or a hundred people watch this. Yeah, so you're going to, you might look at it for different reasons that you like it. And it's very tricky for something as abstract as any board game, frankly, but especially one as abstract as this to, to sort of tease apart some of the nuance and stuff and the design and really say this is what you're going to grasp onto because you know you play a game like 50 times which i played this probably about that many times and sometimes the games are not going to really go the way that i described it in a review which is very frustrating <laughs> as somebody that puts reviews out that live forever on the internet 
Uh, so yeah, so this is a tricky one to explain uh, without sounding like a little bit pretentious and kind of full of myself. So it's a, it's a strange phenomenon, but this game's great. And it just bites into a lot of subconscious things for me. And that's all I'm gonna leave you with. Now, player count, uh, two to four players. This one is okay, two players. Like Samurai, it's okay, two players. I want a three and a four player count uh, with this one. Uh, gameplays can take you about an hour once you get used to it. Uh, and about the same thing for Yellow Yanks. You can two, four players, I'd play with three and four, about an hour. Uh, so definitely give this one a look as well as Samurai, but for sure Tigers and Euphrates, an over Yellow and Yangtze. Like if you said, I never played either one, uh, Tigers and Euphrates, you got to play that one first. And then, you know, Yellow and Yangtze, take it or leave it. But again, I kind of go back and forth on which one I like more or less. So that was 38. Now 39, is this the last Ryder Kanitsi game here? Where did I put it? Yeah. So this is Modern Art, which I used to love this game, and then I hated this game, and now I love it again. Uh, this is a Ryan Knizia auction game. He's got several auction games, all kinds of games. He's got probably a dozen different auction games. Uh, this one is actually interesting because, well, this edition is not super easy to find. This is like the Korean edition from Dice Tree Games, and you can see it actually uses uh, you know, real art. Uh, the original edition had fade up, uh, made up uh, bad art, a fake bad art, I should say. And this one uses the real stuff. So the theme of this is cool because you are trying to sort of manipulate the current value of these different artists for no other reason than so that you can have the most valuable paintings. Not anything to do with the merit of the art, which I find I love that because that is kind of what... Mm. That happens like all the time, all over the world, throughout history to say, this art is so important from the 1600s because this person did this. So this TV show was the most important TV show of the last 10 years because of this. And I'm like, God, there's some financial interest that is driving all of this nonsense talk. Whether somebody's trying to sell you a book, they're trying to sell you their YouTube channel as a journalist, or they're trying to get you to click on their blog or whatever. Because, uh, especially with painting, uh, you know, yeah, it's just a painting. <laughs> like, it's just color and stuff on a wall. And you might look at it and say, that looks pretty, or this other one doesn't like it. Or if you look at a field of flowers, I like the purple field more than I like the yellow field of flowers. Hmm, it's just art. So just appreciate it while you're still alive, okay? And then, but this is funny because it, <laughs> you're like trying to just manipulate it. And I love it because you're just trying to mess with stuff. And I'm like, that's how earth is. <laughs> that's how people deal, do stuff sometimes. And the other cool thing about this is be, through the process of trying to just manipulate and, you know, change the price of something, uh, it has all the different types of auctions that you can do. So there's silent auctions, there's, um, uh, you know, uh, loud auction where you're just bidding, there's once around auctions and all this kind of stuff. So you, you, based on these cards of these different artists that you play, you're going through the motions of these different auction styles over the course of the game. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that I loved it, hated it, and then loved it. This is a very delicate game because uh, I have won this game uh, purposefully, uh, multiple times, I should say, and, and I've seen other people do this to me, is not buying any paintings, but auctioning off the right ones at the right time to suck the money 
again out of the other players who then get they get the paintings and then they, they get a payout at the end of the round based on the popularity and how many cards and stuff were auctioned off but you spent more collectively as a group a table theoretically paying me to be involved in that because i realized that oh they're committed enough to this artist that i can get a pretty penny for this and then the end of the game is the player with the most money so if you have people that are bidding let's say poorly or mathematically backwards that's going to throw the game off but it's also something that the players kind of have to be aware of and rely on whereas some of his other excellent auction games and i'll mention some of them now medici and raw and high society and stuff like that they're a little bit more easygoing and friendly uh, this one can be frustrating to play and i've been frustrated playing this game and let's call him billy uh, i've said to billy i says why are you doing that and you know he was like because you screwed me on the last round and so you can get people sort of playing like outside the zone of smart <laughs> let's say with this game and i've not you know i'm not saying like i'm the only one that's ever you know played the game smart i've played it dumb too because it's just like you get kind of wrapped up in what you value without realizing that you're just feeding somebody a victory because you're giving them too much money but it's like i'm already too far down and I have to give it. So it's a little frustrating, but I, I've come to sort of circle back and appreciate uh, what you know what this game has to offer. So again, if modern, if that sounds kind of nasty and and uh, you know gross th- uh, mechanically to play, definitely take a look at Medici and Raw and High Society, other games from him. But that's modern art. Uh, it plays. Does it say two to four? I don't care if it says two player. Don't play a two player. I think it plays up to five. Any any number is fine. Three, four, five. It's fine. Uh, so that's that's modern art there. Now number thirty six is a very new game, very very very. New. I think this might be the newest game on here, and that is uh, New Frontiers from uh, Rio Grande Games and Tom Lehman. And this is sort of like Race for the Galaxy, the board game, which he also came out with a dice game called Roll for the Galaxy. And this is now the board game. And all of this was sort of based on Puerto Rico, which was a board game uh, way back when. Uh, this is, I just did a review of this a few months ago, so definitely go take a look at that. Absolutely love this game. Uh, you know, you've got role selection, you're exploring planets and developing technologies and getting your little engine built up and, you know, trying to do uh, all kinds of different combos with either like a more military society in space or, you know, delivering goods and all this kind of stuff. Very crunchy mechanics and everything. Uh, this plays two to five players like it at every single player count and i played it at every single player count uh plays quick you're gonna play it in an hour maybe less especially with two players you can get this done in about a half hour or so 45 minutes and it's just is my favorite of all of these sort of galaxy games uh i prefer this over race race and roll for the galaxy i prefer it over puerto rico no question it just kind of is that just sort of latest refinement of that kind of role selection, you know, timing dynamic in terms of like what I'm going to do when and, you know, gauging what all the other players are doing and sort of reacting and being in a position to uh, sort of leech off other players as they like, oh, if I do this now, you know, one of these players is going to call, you know, uh, develop or settle and I'll be in a good spot to uh, to react to that and have stuff ready for it. Uh, so in terms of this, that kind of, precise timing if you enjoy that kind of thing in a game this is really going to work itself out and there's a lot of different kind of combos and everything sort of baked into uh this base game i'll assume they're going to come out with expansions i don't know that it actually needs them 
because there's a lot of variability and stuff uh, baked into here. Uh, but anyway, a lot more details in that review, which is pretty recent for New Frontiers. Uh, definitely go check that out. I really have been enjoying the heck out of this game, though, lately. So, number 35 here is a little odd. It's this box full of cards, and this is Warhammer Age of Sigmar Champions, and it's a trading card game. Um, this is a game from last year. Uh, this has basically knocked out any hint of any other trading card game. I've been a big fan of the Versus trading card game. Uh, Netrunner, I was a big fan of that. I played a lot of Magic the Gathering over the years. This to me, uh, well, I can talk a lot about this game. I'll try to keep this a little bit simple here. So this couple of things. One is just the basic gameplay of it, as you've got these different lanes and these sort of uh, columns of, of uh, different champions that you're deploying heroes and spells and stuff to and reacting with. And as you play cards, the champions will sort of like level up and they'll, they'll turn clockwise. Uh, the cards physically will do that in the game and that will reveal a blessing that's underneath the champion. And that's gonna be some big cool effect. And you just, you know, you're smashing each other in the face similar to like magic or something like that. So that's a really interesting thing. And once you sort of get into the game, like if you just played with the starter sets, you'd have to play them with a few times, I think, to really get at this. Once you sort of try to, uh, you, you can sort of scratch the surface of the meta of what's going on based on who's playing what where. Cause sometimes you'll play a card to like, oh, I'll put this guy out and do some damage to my opponent. You know, that cool. But I might want to do it over here because this is going to trigger that ability on the champion that's going to get him to rotate along on their quest to reveal that big blessing. And so there's some good back and forth there. And there's also some good back and forth in terms of like watching what the other players are doing and being like, okay, don't put anything in this lane because he's going to try to spin up his quest and do this and that. So that, you know, there's a lot to talk about there, honestly. So I'll keep that brief. Now, the other side of it that I really like is you can actually scan the physical cards into an app and play with those cards online against people all over the world and play the game online. And you, in the app itself, you can get packs of cards and stuff. Anything that you collect in the app obviously just lives in the app and you have extra cards there. But you can take these physical cards that you have, scan them in, and then you don't have to really pay for anything in the app at all. I've never spent a cent in the app. Um, but the cool thing is, is you can take these decks and play. Whew, there's so many different like modes and things in the app. There's like these long single player campaigns and these different trials and little weird one-off things where you'll play against these decks that are absolutely cheating. <laughs> and you've got to sort of assemble like the perfect deck to try to beat them. But then you can play casual games online or in like this ranked competitive mode. And it really complements the physical collection that you have because you can go and play and like, okay, well, ideally I want three of this really good card, but physically I only have one of them, but I can swap in these two other cards that are maybe more commons, they're not rares, and then see how that works out and kind of tweak your deck and get a ton of practice in online. And then you can sort of tweak these decks here and not really feel like you're forced to go chase down some rare or anything because you can spend a lot of time playtesting and tweaking your decks. And they realize, well, maybe I do want to spend a couple of bucks and go get this rare or something. Maybe I haven't actually had to do that, but um, 
if they're on like the third set now and with that first set there was a couple of things a little bit out of balance but as these last couple of sets have come out there's a lot of very competitive decks i really like the theme of it it's the whole age of sigmar theme and it feels thematically very tied into uh you know kind of a skirmish battle where you've got your champions out front and they're kind of summoning spells and other little peon creatures and stuff like that and there's a lot of good back and forth uh, excellent game i can't recommend it enough and uh, it's it, the, again the ecosystem and the way that it's balanced out. Like I've just got one booster box from each set, and that's it. I don't really feel like I need anything more, and I'm not chasing anything down. But I've got enough to play. I can get new cards rewarded to me just by playing games online. They just kind of shower you with cards, and so there's not really a lot that you have to invest in or anything. Um, so that's the whole balance of that. It's just perfect. Um, and I think Netrunner players specifically, I had a note here for that, would really like this game because. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but there's the way that you sort of try to deduce what's going on and where, you know, how to play and when to play. Because a lot of times the way the actions are very discreet in this game, there's no mana or anything. It's just you get two actions per turn. So knowing when to give up your actions is to draw cards versus, you know, throwing bait out at an opponent and that kind of stuff. It's very, very strong uh, in Warhammer Champions. Uh, so definitely uh, take a look at this. I think I have a note about playtime. I mean, games can take a half an hour to play a single game, but you obviously usually you play multiple games back to back. Okay, so that would be number 35. So number 34 is sort of the same vein here, and that is gonna be Thunderstone Quest. This is from AEG. Uh, this is a huge box here. And this is the deck builder that is on this list. And this is, I think, my favorite deck builder of all time. This is really just uh, cremated <laughs> every other deck builder that I really liked. Um, I can't say enough about this game. This was one of the best games to come out of last year. Uh, it's the thematically and all this kind of stuff, it feels very much like you're playing some kind of light role-playing campaign, you know, some light dungeon crawling. Um, you know, a lot of these other kind of deck building games, they sort of hint at that or, you know, play around with that. This really aggressively, uh, you know, attacks that and, and succeeds at being that. Um, and there's a large campaign mode and, you know, you can easily play it as a one-off and all this stuff in the deck building and the balance between, uh, you know, sometimes you go to a village and buy uh, new items or recruit new heroes and then you'll switch over and you'll kind of tromp through this dungeon and try to fight things the way all these mechanics and things integrate with each other is just magical uh, in terms of how it works in thunderstone quest um you know i don't really know what else to say but to me it's just a magical deck builder that is great thematically very fun there's lots of little nooks and crannies and side questy things and all this kind of stuff all wrapped into this Definitely got to take a look at this one. Um, it's kind of funny because I had a note here. The other deck builders that I've really enjoyed have also also been from AEG. Specifically, I'm thinking of Trains and Automobiles. Uh, two excellent deck builders. Trains is like if you made a deck builder out of Ticket to Ride. And Automobiles is like if you make a deck builder out of a Formula One car racing game. But it's in Automobiles, though, I gotta say, it's not cars, you're actually building a bag with cubes. And then certain cards will trigger off the different colored cubes and you'll drive faster or weaker or, or more weird <laughs> uh, with the cubes. And I, because I was trying to think of like, well, what other games would I compare this to? 
in terms of like if, if you weren't into like a fantasy Thunderstone quest type of thing, you know, what would you get? I was well, eminent domain would be one, uh, you know, ascension and star realms and stuff like that. But I'm like, no, you know, really the solid deck builders, they're all from AG. It's weird. Trains, automobiles, Thunderstone Quest, all great stuff. Um, in terms of player count for Thunderstone Quest, any player counts. Plays two to four. I'd play a two player. I'd play a four player anytime. Uh, play time's about an hour to go through a, a particular scenario and stuff like that. Uh, but if you like deck building at all and haven't tried Thunderstone Quest, this to me is like easily no brainer. This is heads and tails above the rest. And you're going to get so much gameplay out of this, especially if you get a couple of expansions. And just the replayability is fantastic. So that's number 34, Thunderstone Quest. Number 33 is here, actually. And this is completely different now. This is a Twilight Struggle. This game's about 15 years old or so now. Um, I don't, there's not really a lot I can say about this game that hasn't been said. This was the number one game on Board Game Geek for quite a couple of years, I think. Uh, it's a two-player, uh, card-driven game. One player plays the Soviet Union, the other player plays the United States of America, and you're trying to just, you know, spread your influence out and try to uh, control through your creepy little uh, dastardly imperialistic fingers <laughs> the rest of the world. Uh, so you have the Soviets kind of moving through, you know, sort of spreading influence through Europe and Asia, and the United States kind of coming back in and trying to do the same kind of thing. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm being redundant because it's been such a popular game for so long, but you have cards that you can play for influence points or operations points to do different things like set out influence and, you know, do coups and operations and all this stuff. Or there's events on them and you can play them just for the events written on the card. But if I'm the U.S. player and I have a Soviet card and I can't play the event, but I play it for the operation points, that's going to trigger the event for the Soviets. But there's all kinds of weird different ways you can get around that, and you try to time it so that when you do play the card, it isn't as great for the other player as it would have been if you played it earlier or later in the round and that kind of stuff. Uh, thematically, though, I think the reason I like this so much is the theme, uh, and it's because... Uh, I think it does fit the time period because it's all the events and things on the cards are very historical uh, based and somewhat accurate to how things evolved. They're, the deck is set up in a late, middle, and uh, early war. So as you kind of cycle through the deck, you'll start to progress through history in a lot of ways and the focus of the game and where the territory control uh, sort of is important is changes through the course of the game. There's like a space race you can go through. So it feels very thematic and historical in some ways. And I also think it's also, frankly, like a little bit of commentary on the manipulative garbage that both of the countries went through because they both thought each other was the enemy. You know, the United States obviously doesn't want communism spreading. Nobody really wants that. And, you know, from the Soviet point of view, they didn't really want some kind of imperialist, capitalistic society spreading as well because they thought that was wrong. Um, and so some of the actions taken by both governments were sort of like not super hot ideas and not super great for the people that lived in the countries where they were uh, manipulating leadership and, you know, having regime change and coups and stuff like that. And so for me, it's interesting to play through that and kind of deal with that sort of topic uh, in, in, in a way that is actually a board game, because I think sometimes probably some of the people that were making some of these decisions were looking at it like kind of a giant chessboard or a board game and not really thinking about the 
uh, you know, necessarily the, the boots on the ground or the people living in the cities and the towns and the villages and stuff like that. So that's an interesting exercise to go through, I think, mentally. And I think, frankly, you know, I don't want to sound pretentious at all, but, you know, damn it. This is important. I think this is an important artifact in the history of the earth uh, that, you know, should be examined a hundred or a thousand years from now. Maybe not a thousand, because a thousand, who cares? Like, we'll be dust. But, you know, like a hundred years from now, um, you know, this is an important thing to kind of look at things and sort of take on that view and see uh, how civilization got to a point where it was being manipulated by two puppets, so to speak, to a degree. Right, because there's that's not to uh, undersell the um, uh, the agency of anybody that was being manipulated in this whole process. But it's a very interesting idea. It's like you know, you can see me kind of rambling here. It kind of gets you thinking about all this kind of weird stuff. So that is Twilight Struggle. Obviously, it's only a two-player game. The game's going to take you about two to three hours, so that you can have like early victories and things. Uh, and the way the scoring cards come up can trigger sort of instant victories sometimes, depending on what's going on. Um, which is another really cool, interesting uh, part of the game mechanically. This is how you play scoring. Um, but yeah, so th- definitely a huge recommend. This is another one I throw in with like Tigers and Euphrates and stuff. Like, yeah, you should. I think you should play this one just to kind of get it and experience it and see what it's like. And just, just to kind of do it. It may not be fun, but I would say at least try it once. I think it's fun. But, you know, try it once and see, you know, see how it goes. So that was number 43. And number 42 is here. This is going to be tricky to do because it's Imperial Assault. And uh, that's all of it because they're now done publishing it. They're not going to make any more. So I've got it all collapsed here into this uh, box. And I have... You know, this is kind of, it's my top 50, obviously, but on one hand, I kind of, uh, I feel a little bit bad about saying, hey, I recommend this game because you should go out and get it. And it's like, well, I don't know how long it's going to be in print. Um, So Imperial Assault is, um, it's a lot of things. The reason I recommend it is because of its head-to-head skirmish mode. Uh, Now you can get it and play it as a campaign where one player is sort of like the Empire and the other players are playing rebels and kind of going through this sort of campaign like Descent or Gloomhaven or something. So it's one player versus many. Not a super huge fan of that motive. It's actually okay, but it's not, I don't know. It doesn't really do anything special for me after I played through the, the main campaign once, which is about like 12 scenarios. Um, but there's also an app that you can get now for it, which I've played through. And that has like the players all playing against the app you know, through kind of a similar dungeon crawl, space station crawl. Not a fan of that at all, really. Um, But it also has a competitive head-to-head mode where you can point out and build out Empire, Smuggler, or Rebel forces. And then it has this real interesting sort of card mechanic where you can, uh, you get these decks of cards that you can go and like, you know, hack terminals, so to speak, and then get you these special abilities. But then also you're trying to do some different objective and kill the other players um, uh, the models. That is really a fantastic way to play the game. Uh, and it's, I, uh, to me, it's a very underrated uh, part of the system. It's an underrated sk- skirmish game in general. Uh, cause it, it kind of, again, scratches that star Wars itch. I said there would be a theme on this show. We've got Canizio. We've got now our second star Wars game. There may be one coming up after this, but 
this is very like that visceral in your face, you know, running through the Death Star, you know, maneuvering through the Rebel base and trying to, uh, you know, do some kind of cool scenario where, you know, you've got Vader on one side and maybe a bunch of peons on the other side or, you know, Luke and them fighting through some stormtroopers. So you can just kind of build out these different forces and just play a very smart kind of cool head-to-head -head tactical, uh, very solid mechanical uh, gameplay. And uh, I can't recommend this enough for just that aspect of the game. Although I think if you do get into that, you do want, obviously you see I have everything for it. Um, you do want to have the um, expansions because that's gonna give you a lot more tools for your, your force building and your deck building and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I can't recommend enough for that style of game. Honestly, I would not get it if you're just like, you want to play through the campaign and all that kind of stun fun stuff. It's okay. Like, it's fine. And if you like Star Wars, then it's, you know, obviously that's a cool idea. Um, but for me, it's about the skirmish side of this. And so in that vein, it's really a two-player game to me, although you can play it up to five uh, or four with the app and stuff. Uh, but like I said, I'm more saying the skirmish is what I like. Uh, if you like this sort of board game skirmish style game, uh, there'll be some other games later on this list that you, you might sort of put in that same ballpark. But if you really want just tactical, like straight up combat stuff, a couple years ago, Fantasy Flight also put out Doom the board game, which is a one versus many game, but it's not meant to be a campaign. It's just head to head skirmish. So it's really a solid uh, skirmish game and the, the, again the mechanics and the, the excitement of the combat in that Doom game are really kind of close to this and I, frankly I would also mention the new Batman game which I just reviewed a couple of weeks ago uh, from uh, Monolith Games and that's a very good head-to-head -head skirmish game although it's again one player versus many in that case but you could also do one versus one uh, there may be some other games like that up here uh, as we get up the list but again the skirmish is really the important part of this one I think all right, so that's number 42, Imperial Assault. Number 41, da, 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 it's another Star Wars game. <laughs> I don't know what happened. This, it's all Canadian Star Wars this week. So this is Star Wars Risk. Um, now this is, uh, this is like the black edition. There's two editions. You can just get like the regular one. This is the black. There's nothing different other than some component differences. There's no reason not to get the black one because usually it's on sale for super cheap. Uh, what this is, is you're basically playing the last half an hour for Return of the Jedi. Uh, so you've got the uh, folks on the Endor moon trying to take down the shield. You've got uh, Darth and Luke fighting in the lightsaber fight. You have the space battle of, you know, all the X-Wings versus the TIE Fighters and trying to blow up the Death Star and all that fun stuff. So you're basically playing that through this kind of weird... Uh, dual card play. So you draw these cards, they'll have one of two actions on them, and you pick one and do it, pick one and do it, and keep going. And it's just this giant tug of war back and forth between, um, you know, trying to activate these different areas of the board. It's very light, very, you know, it's not super solid and strategic. There's a lot of, you know, some luck and stuff. But to me, it's just a super fun game. It takes you about a half hour, 45 minutes, and you're playing through Return of the Jedi, which is kind of cool. And it's just it's just a right, like again, it's just a fun game. Like it's just, let's just have a couple of drinks or whatever you wanna do and just sit down and chill and play and see what happens and not really worry too much about using our brains, right? And just kind of have a fun and play through Return of the Jedi. That's it, that's all it is to it. So you can play this two or four players 
Uh, well, you can might be able to three players, but if it's two, it's you know two players head to head against each other as partners, and that's that's pretty fun. I played it that way before. I don't remember if you can do it with like you know one versus two. I don't see why you couldn't. But uh, I probably prefer this as two players as opposed to Rebellion, which I talked about earlier. And I know some people are going to be like, how come you have this ranked higher than Rebellion? Well, it's not a ranking. <laughs> I just, if I'm like, do I want to have like a super lot of fun for half an hour? Then bam, I'm going to play Star Wars Risk. <laughs> We're going to get it done. It's going to be half hours. I'm going to be laughing the entire time. Whereas Star Wars Re- Rebellion is like, mm, I might have a headache at the end of that. And it's going to take three hours. So anyway... So well, more of that in my last video when I talk about the, the ordering stuff. Um, but yeah, this one, I should say, sorry for the tangent. Uh, the two-player game, it's just a little bit... There's not enough going on here for a four-player game, right? So yeah, I, like I just want to play a two-player back and forth, bam, 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 all you want, I won, whatever. So it's really fun and simple and just just kind of lights up the board, right? To me, it just kind of lights everything up. And I'm not worried about anything when I'm playing this game. I'm just chilling. We're playing Return of the Jedi. And gosh darn it, Luke and the Emperor, or Darth and the Emperor are going to win this time. Let's try to get it done. <laughs> uh, other games like this. Uh, now this is loosely based off a game called Queen's Gambit, where you're playing like the last half an hour of Episode One, The Phantom Menace. And that's a good game. The It takes probably longer to set up than it does to actually play the game. So there's that, and you can't find it or get it in print. But it's a little bit tricky to sort of compare the two in that way because this is a little bit, it feels a little bit simpler than uh, Queen's Gambit. And like I said, you can't get it, so it's not really worth saying. But yeah, I would say if you're like a Star Wars fan and you, and you like Return of the Jedi and stuff like that, then man, to me, it's just, this is a no-brainer game. Like, it's just super fun. And this visceral and just wacky and just seat of your pants having a good time. Okay, so that is the next 10 games, number uh, 31 through 40. And so tune in tomorrow on the podcast and YouTube when I go through the uh, 21 through 30. Thanks.